Well, hello there, my friends from around the world. What a week. What a week it has been for me. I was thinking about that when I was listening back to Hillary Ray's conversation with me. And it's all about her helping you to tell your story. Like expressing yourself in every way possible in how you want to reach the world. Whether it's for your business, personal social media, your family, your friends, you're at a party, you're on a Zoom call. What do you want to show the world? What story do you want to tell them? I was looking at that because I've been going in so many different directions and meeting lots of new people, which is fascinating and phenomenal. And I love meeting new people. But I feel like I'm telling my story again. Like, what's your story? What do you do? How'd you get started? And I'm good just going on and on and on. But to be precise and still be unique and not sound like you planned it, ooh, that's an art. That's an art, isn't it? I love telling stories. And I think for the most part, I'm a pretty good storyteller. But After talking to Hillary Ray, I realized, man, oh man, oh man, just like everything else, you can always improve upon it. You can always learn new tips and tricks. And Hillary is the lady to teach you. I was starting to do her system, her five-point system that she uses. And already I was like, ooh, you know, I got to change that on my website. Or when I go on that webinar, I shouldn't start out with that. I definitely learned so many different tips and tricks to get my story out there. The story that I want to tell the world at different times. What I want to say to inspire others and create joy to fulfill my mission in my business. So I'm excited for you to listen to this podcast. And as always, give me your feedback, share it subscribe, like, rate, and tell me what you want to hear. I'm here for you. I want to bring you a world that you want to live in with positive, powerful people from all over the world. And I want to tell your story and their story and reach as many people as possible. Enjoy this episode. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Oh my goodness. How many of my Let's Keep It Real people know I love telling stories, right? I love parables. I could make a story out of, I saw an ant pick a crumb. You know me. So when I got to see this woman, Hillary, I was like, whoa, I love what she's putting out in the world. We got to get her on the Let's Keep It Real podcast. So before I get too excited, let me tell you a little bit about her. Hillary Ray. Hillary is the founder of, (laughs) right, Tell Me a Story, a full-service communication consulting business that trains entrepreneurs, leaders, and change makers how to use the art of storytelling as a powerful communication tool. She's worked with leaders across industries, social justice, nonprofits, women-owned small businesses, tech startups, and Fortune 500 companies to communicate an authentic narrative through one-on-one services, now fully virtual, and the long-running Tummy A Story live show, virtually for the time being. Hello. How are you? Hi, Sandy. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I think the first time, I don't know if I met you before that, but you did a webinar for the Walnut Club. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was such a good group. So wait, you're, how did you meet the peeps at the Walnut Club? Uh, I know Karen Seymour, who I believe is in charge of events. I met her 
funnily enough, through LinkedIn, we just started communicating and we were in the same city but had never met in person. And she was actually one of the very last people I saw in real life before the <laughs> lockdown happened. Um, and we connected over that and, and caught up once we were working from home. But that's initially how I got set up with the Walnut Club. Well, it was so much fun. I got to really see Hillary in action. And I, you know, everyone's like, Sandy, but you love telling stories. You know, why are you doing it? You know, you always get something new, right? You always can learn something new. And I find it really odd when my friends go, well, I don't need that webinar or I don't need that. You know, I already got this down. Like, go, when I get it down, I'll be dead, Hillary. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting, too. I, I tend to either encounter just in conversation or work with people on two spectrums. One is the, oh, I'll never be able to tell a story. I've been told I'm a bad storyteller. Mm. How is this something I can learn and hone? Isn't it just a natural ability? So that's one side of the spectrum. And the other is like, oh, I'm really good at this. I don't think I need help. And I... (laughs) And I think I always like to kind of bring those two up, like extremes into the middle. And it's like, yes, here's here's what you're really good at. Let's enhance that and and illuminate that. And then here's what you can strengthen as well. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just like an athlete. Even if you mm-hmm. have a natural talent, you don't home your, you know, when you say, oh, I'm done homing my skills, you know, I'm done here. You know, let's just go out and play. It never happens. And also, even coaches have coaches. Like, I have a mentor. I have coaches, even though I coach people, because it's hard to just look at yourself, too, you know, at the same way. I like somebody else's eyes. But anyhow, let's get right into your words. I always ask my guest, Hillary, if you were going to just say one word that you mostly embodied in the past 30 days, what would it be? Grounded. Grounded. Okay. You know what? I have to tell you, every time I ask somebody a word, I think they're going to start repeating. No one's been repeating any words. That's All right. So, so cool. tell me why grounded. Yeah. This is a word, and it's funny because the exercise I took the group from the Walnut Club through is called the five-word life story. And it's it's an exercise to begin the brainstorming process of, oh, what stories do I have to tell? What stories serve me in the present moment? How do they connect with my identity and, and who I want to become and all of that? And I, I tend not to repeat words when I take myself through that exercise. But one word that always shows up every two or three times I do the exercise is this word grounded. And I think it's I always have had this deep connection with my feet. <laughs> when I was a little kid, my this I don't really have a memory of this, but I'm an only child and I talked to my feet and I named my left foot Phoebe and my right foot Capwell. Those were the names I came up with. I talked to them. My parents referred to them as Phoebe and Capwell as well. And it was oh, just always something. <laughs> and then I at around age 10, I started tap dancing and my mother's father, who I never met, uh, was was a an illustrator for Marvel and DC Comics, but when he was a kid, he was a professional tap dancer, and he was on the vaudeville circuit with his brother as a tap dancing duo. And so again, it was another like family story that I saw pictures, but I was never able to experience. But I started learning to tap when I was ten, and so I had this strong musical and physical connection to my feet because I always thought of tap dancing as a mu- as a type of music, and that has carried with me through my whole life as well. And then in the last handful of years, I've focused a lot on meditation and kind of combating a general anxiety that just has always plagued me. And feeling grounded in my body has really informed how I move through the world. And then now the word grounded, I feel not only at home because I still have to be, but I feel really grounded in my home and in my business as I'm firmly standing for what I believe in. I'm offering these services in this new, cool, virtual way and can work with people all over the country. And I just, like, feel comfortable in my own skin. So that's a very long interpretation of that one word. No, it's not long at all. And I I keep going back to your feet. Now I need to visualize the feet. (laughs) (laughs) They're not particularly beautiful feet. Um, They're in desperate need of a pedicure. but, uh, But I feel very connected to them. 
Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I've heard a lot of stories, but no one has ever told me they named their right and left foot. I think <laughs> yeah. that's such a hoot. And by the way, I'm a tap dancer. I was a dance major, and my favorite thing was tap dancing. Oh, that's so fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's just so freeing. I like hearing the little noises, you know. Yeah. It's just so fun. All right, so grounded it is. We got that for Hillary. Well, even with you telling that story, it sounds like even as a kid, you love to tell stories? Yeah, I don't know if I ever, like, I've connected the dots back to this now. Um, But yeah, I was, there was, again, this story in my, like, I'm sure a lot of people listening, and I'm sure you as well, there's those stories that others tell about us, and we don't necessarily know where they come from. Sometimes they're not good. Sometimes they're like those family, like, insider, anecdotal kind of stories. And one was always that I hated tomatoes. And growing up, whenever there was a tomato in front of me, I refused to eat it. I was like, oh, I hate tomatoes. But it all really stemmed from this one photo of me as a baby where there's a hand. It's one of my parents holding this giant tomato up to my face. And I'm making like a what could be interpreted as a look of disgust. And so that has just been the lore. And now I I do like tomatoes more and more and integrate it into my food. But I was slated to do this talk on the theme identity right before, again, everything's like right before the pandemic had everyone stay at home. I was slated to give an in-person talk on identity. And and in getting ready for that talk, I was like, I want to talk about this idea of the stories we tell ourselves, the stories other people tell about us, and the stories we want to tell other people. Ooh, I that's, love that. Yeah, so that's like the what my work is now grounded in is let's focus on the stories we want to tell other people, and it will shift those internal narratives and shift the narrative that other people tell about us. So I asked my my mom, I said, I think I wrote a story about not liking tomatoes based on that picture when I was a kid. Do you know what I'm talking about? And in my head, I was like, oh, I think I like wrote a book about myself when I was 10. And my mom goes into the basement and she pulls up this book and and gives it to me. And I wrote a full memoir <laughs> when I was 10 years old, except that it wasn't my name as the character's name. It was a Millicent Wimbleberry. Again, I don't know where I'm coming up with these names, but I, I've spent a lot of time with that book in the last few months. And I'm actually, um, I have a, a storytelling podcast about family stories. And I'm actually for the third season going to develop, um, I'm basing it around those stories I wrote about myself and then like my family's reaction to them and my reaction to them now. But yeah, so looking at having that in my hands now and seeing that was like, oh, yeah, I have always been telling stories about myself, even if I made the name Millicent Wimbleberry. But sure enough, that tomato, I hate tomato stories in that yeah. book. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been a part of my life in one way or the other. But for the last like 11 years, it's been like firmly yeah. in my life. And I think that's a big thing that you you stated. Like at the time, you were just being you. You know, yeah. you weren't you weren't thinking, oh, as a kid, I'm a storyteller. But then looking back, you're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. this has been. I mean, militant. I mean, who? I can't even say. Like who Millicent comes up with Wimbleberry? I know Wimbleberry. <laughs> that's other, a you know what I mean. It shows the creativity in you. Yeah, and it's so funny too because I have this other memory of like desperately wanting that Dr. Seuss book that was called My Book About Me, and that all of my friends at school had this book. And are you familiar with the My yeah. Book About Me? Yeah. yeah. So it's like for those listening, you input things like name, age, you trace your hand, you trace your foot, you write how many siblings you are, but it's all like fill in the blank Mad Lib style. And so my mom also found that book and gave it to me. And when I opened that up, I was like, this is so boring. This is just me like filling out a form. How, but in my memory, I was like, oh, this was like the coolest thing to have as a kid and like made people feel like good about themselves. But actually, that compared to Millicent Wimbleberry, I was like, oh no, (laughs) that's the book about me. This is just some like Mad Lib I filled out and it's so boring. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm looking at the About Hillary, you know, Ray page. And what I really want to do is see you do stand-up comedy. <laughs> well, I don't do it anymore. I mean, at the time, there's a lot of, like, virtual stand-up comedy. But what's so funny is the, even 
Yeah. So my background is in theater. And then ultimately, I found my way to stories through stand-up comedy. But honestly, looking back on my very early material, I was never really doing joke after joke. I was really just showing up at these very traditional stand-up comedy shows and and telling a story from like with a beginning, middle, and end. But I just didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. Did you really enjoy it, though? <laughs> yeah. It it just, for some reason, and it was never about, like, ooh, people like it because they're laughing or because they're applauding or reacting. For me, like, even with my performing background, it really was the only time I felt comfortable, again, in my own skin. Like, being characters never really felt good for me, even though when I had to do it. But it just felt like, oh, I feel an energy and a connection between myself and the person listening on the other end. And Mm. that to me felt freeing and felt like I could do more of it and be more of myself, even if not up on a stage, which I know some people would be like, what? That sounds like the most terrifying thing in the world to like get up on a stage and share who you are to a room of strangers. But for me, like I, I was like, I broke through a wall or something. And when I got to that other side of like, oh no, this isn't terrifying. This is liberating. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people wish they could get there, but I think you can only know by doing it. You don't That's know. the thing. It's I always like envision it. And when I work with people, I always say like, it's kind of like you're jumping off a cliff, but in a good way or like yeah. skydiving, yeah. but you want to <laughs> like all of that. Yeah. Right. It's like but that, like you, that yeah, letting but go. We, but what you said is like, you didn't go up there and have all these jokes. Like you, you were telling stories and it would make people laugh. Yeah. And it was something that I like I knew in my social life, I was really good at taking people on a ride with with a story, even if it was like a mundane thing that happened to me or like a lot of my early stories were like crushes gone wrong. And so maybe like at the time it was like, oh, maybe I was a little heartbroken or felt rejected. But in getting that comedic lens on it, I could see like how over like hyperbolic I was being in real life but then in talking about it it was really fun yeah um yeah yeah, so I feel like because I knew I could engage and connect like at a low stake situation it was worth trying it in like a performative way yeah so now man what you're doing I think is incredible and so needed because you. you know it really is and virtually, I mean, what a better time. So let's back up a little bit. So right now, when you're going through and you're saying you're helping, let's just say, ah, let's go with the female entrepreneur, tell their story. How do you start that process? Yeah. So first, it's helping people realize that by telling their story, a lot of other things will come like with more ease, like, for example, talking about your work, um, even selling what you do, your services or your products, speaking on a podcast, pitching to an investor, like all of those things that really do involve and need genuine communication. If you can approach each of those responsibilities as a female entrepreneur with story behind you, not only will you embody what you do in like a a more confident way in your voice and your body language, but you'll really connect with whoever's listening to you on the other end. And then you don't really have to like convince somebody of something or explain something that's overly complicated. Like using story kind of simplifies a message and also simplifies sort of, it simplifies a lot. So so that's getting people to understand that is is a big hurdle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then how I work with folks, I I work in a number of ways. Like I do brainstorming sessions. So it's not working on the crafting of the story itself, but the story ideas and generating a a pretty big bundle of story ideas that can then be utilized in whatever way they want. But then with most people, I work on origin story. And so that's specifically answering that, like, what do you do? Or how did you get to do what, what you are now? Which can feel 
for a lot of people like, oh, I have to start at the beginning or (laughs) I'm not where I want to be. So why would I tell this story yet? Like all of those kinds of things. But really, it's finding the answer to that question that serves you presently. So really establishing, okay, where am I now? Like, where am I in life? Where am I in my business? Where am I emotionally? What do I believe in? All of that and kind of working backwards and then zooming in on very specific experiences from your life that illuminate that where you are now feeling and circumstances. And yeah. so so that kind of also then opens the doors to like even more like spin-off stories that that people can tell. Yeah. You know, I've done those workshops before and I always get something out of it. Like every time I tell a story, depending on where I am in life, Hillary, it's going to come out differently. You know, I'll look back because I'm a journal person. So I'm that crazy person. I'm sure you understand I have journals everywhere and I love (laughs) writing and, you know, putting my words down and it all looks like scribble scrabble most times. But I could tell the same story today and a month ago it looks different. Yeah. Because that's I'm at a different place, you know, and so my perspective is different. So when you were going through, you know, you said you want the origin of your story and that then you pick things out. Every everyone's people say to me, my life is boring. And I start listening to them talk. I'm like, how can you think that's boring? I believe like you, everyone has a freaking story. Everyone. Yeah. And I think it's the in 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 popular culture and even in in entrepreneurial culture, we're used to hearing those stories of like momentous circumstances or like overcoming large adversity or <laughs> like I always give the example of your story doesn't have to be that you're walk you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro while blindfolded. <laughs> um, if someone yeah. has done that, I would love to meet them and hear their story, but. I am a firm believer that, yes, you can bring to life these really small moments, and that's what makes the bigger story. And that's always the style of storytelling, not only that I used, even for entertainment's sake, but that I really that really resonated with me, like other performative storytellers, but then just other wonderful, dynamic business speakers. It's always when someone zooms in on these very small moments that had a really big impact. Ooh, I like that. You know what? Now you're making me think of it. I didn't think of it till now, but even the comedians I like or the newscasters, it's their everyday stories that I can relate to. Yes. And make me laugh. And the way they present it, that's what I love the most. But it's not like, oh my God, things they're talking about. It's just everyday. I'm like, oh, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. But that's one of your first key elements, right? Because yeah. we were going through like, oh, what's the tips and tricks? I always like having <laughs> takeaways, which we'll get into more. Sure. But you say five key elements of personal narrative. And mm-hmm. the first one is your origin, origin story. story. So if they were going to do this on their own, how would you recommend they start, you know, just start writing down ideas of different stories throughout their life? Or do you go, okay, but what, what at age two, I did something <laughs> now five, now age, you have any memories? Let's yeah, go. I mean, doing it on your own, I think the only thing you can do is is simply, so I, I define origin story as answering two questions. So the first one is the how did you get to where you are now? So brainstorming, yeah, it might be like a freestyle writing exercise for somebody to kind of answer that question. How did you get to where you are now? Or talk it through with a friend or something like that. But the second question that the origin story answers is, how did you get your superpowers? And so that's another thing. And I know that word can be weighted in so many ways. Like it's very like self-help, woo-woo kind of word. (laughs) But then it's also like, oh, superhero, like Avengers, X-Men, like that kind of thing. But really, I like in talking about the word grounded, like I consider my feet superpowers of mine for all of the reasons that I shared with you. So it's like finding those, it's either values, um, actions, emotions, physicalities, like all of those things that make you you. So it's like, how do you marry that with the how did you get to where you are now? So I don't know. It's a big project for someone yeah. to do on their own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think first, like answering, identifying some answers to those questions before you really pin down the story is super helpful. And I do agree. I mean, you you can like anything. You can do stuff on your own, but when you have somebody else you're working with, I think you get further and you get there a lot quicker. Yeah. You know, it really helps you. Okay, so. Let's back up a little bit. We're going to ask a few questions. Uh, Before I bring my guest on, I always reach out to my audience and say, what would you like to ask 
this woman. So here we go. You ready for question one? Yeah. All right. This guy is, well, let's name him. I always say Billy Bob. We're going to name him John Boy. <laughs> John Boy <laughs> is 22 years old, and he's starting his own business at home in animation. Wow. That sounds like fun. He wants to be able, this is the, this is the tricky part. He says, does she have any ideas of how to tell a story to my parents that I've chosen to do animation versus medical school? I don't think that's the oh. same thing. But he's, I, I'm, I just thought, I, you know, I usually try to screen things, and I don't know if this has to do with you, but he wants to know how does he set up the story to have beginning, middle, and end to tell his parents he's doing animation. Versus medical school. I think, okay, this is really... I like that question for you. I mean, that's that's a... Yeah, this is really cool. And I'm assuming his parents, it's like the goal or, or call to action is like, I need you to be on board with this life decision. And maybe yeah. it's, I need you to also fund this life decision. So it's yes. almost like an investor pitch. Yeah. So... Yes. <laughs> and by the way, just let, let me add the little thing that yeah. John Boy said. Because of the quarantine, he's now back living in the house. Oh, the stakes are high. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think if he could almost do like an investor pitch with visuals. And when I always help people with pitches, it always does start with the story. And so I think John Boy could go one of two <laughs> ways. He could do an uh, an origin story of like, how did you land on this being where you are in your life? Like, I am going to study animation. I'm not going to medical school. Um, so what is that? Where? When did that become your passion and what you wanted want to do as your your art and your craft? Finding a little like an example, like maybe he has a memory as a kid of like the first time watching animation really like stuck with him or drawing and seeing something come to life in a whole new way. Like maybe there's that part of it too. Um, the other thing to really, cause pitches should always start with a story. The other thing is to like really draw his parents into the pitch is, is to maybe share the story of, yeah, like of how something makes him feel like how animation, even, yeah, in experiencing it makes him feel and in doing it makes him feel and then kind of Ooh. outline, but here's what I need to learn. I'm going to go to school for this. I know that you've, and then bring a, a family story into it as a wrap up of like, here's a time where I know all three of us really connected because of animation. And I, I know that it can have an impact in your life all the more if I do it, something like that. I mean, it should clearly come from his heart and in his yeah, words. Yeah. But I would say yeah, like a, a quick story at the top of a bigger pitch would, would probably hopefully seal the deal. Yeah, you know what, John Boy was a great question. Yeah, you know, to the right person. I and I love that answer. And then such a great story for when he goes on to become an established animator. Yeah, then he has that stakes are high story of having to convince his parents that that was his life path, and that's an unbelievable story to tell. Yeah, I like that. All right, John Boy, I think that's good. All right. We're going to just add one more question in here. We're going to call her Sally. <laughs> Sally does have a compelling story, gut-wrenching story, but she wants to share it with the world to make impact and to inspire. But every time Sally tells her story, she doesn't just have tears in her eyes. She breaks down and cries. How could she not do that, Hillary? Yeah, this one's tricky too, because I know I've been witness to stories and storytellers where emotion really has come into play, and I've felt deeply moved as the listener and connected and, and feel extreme empathy. And then there are times where it felt like, oh, wow, I'm now bearing the weight of this person's problem or experience in a way that I don't know what to do with it afterwards. Um, and this jumps more, again, to the five key elements of personal narrative. But the fifth key element, and this is a elements that I use in, in my work, the fifth key element is called scars over wounds. Mm. And and the whole concept behind this is to tell your story from your scar, not your wound. And it might be that this big story that Sally feels compelled to share at the moment still needs to heal in order for that additional perspective to be gained, to tell it 
from a place of of strength and the, and that might lead to some emotion as well but she'll feel like she's coming from a better place in in sharing it with an audience if it's like time distance or just looking at it through a new lens or perspective mm. um or feeling empowered to like okay I'm going to share this part but I might not share that part because I don't have to share every detail with my audience I'm only going to share what really feels right for me and feels right for this story and the way I want to tell it good point good point yeah she doesn't have to put it all out there right away yeah yeah that's a good point all right, so let's go back because I like to jump around with the five sure. key elements. So we yeah. did the origin story, number one. Yes. And we went to number five, which, very good point, scars over wounds. I was hoping that's what it was. Yeah. What about ownership, number two? Yeah. So this is, again, cut, came from a lot of what I would call like reticence or objections about, oh, well, what if there were like multiple people involved in this story? Why does my perspective matter or why should I be the one telling it or why would anyone care what I have to say? Um, all of those kinds of trepidations about putting ourselves out there and sharing who we are. And I think it's okay if there were multiple people that all experienced something together. Each person's story is going to have a, a, a different lens put on it because of who they are, what else they've experienced, and their vision and memory of what happened. And so I think taking ownership of, okay, like I can be the main character in my story. I can tell it from my perspective. And that's enough. And then trusting, yeah, again, I can take ownership of style, of what I should like, what circumstances I share, um, how I infuse humor, if I want to infuse humor, it just gives you the power to steer the ship versus mm -hmm. other people being like, oh, no, this is really who you are. This is really what happened to you. Um, <laughs> when that's never really the truth. <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever. All right. Question three. Now, this one we'll call Billy Bob. Billy Bob. He has to admit he's envious of people that tell great stories. He goes to, a, well, he used to, go to a lot of dinner parties and gatherings where there's always these one or two guys from the office that are just amazing storytellers. And everyone can't wait to listen to them. You know, like, oh, they hang on every word. And he's got a lot to say, but every time he starts talking, it's like they go right back to these other guys because... They're just oh, unbelievable <laughs> storytellers. He wants to become a better storyteller because, as he says, I got something to say. Yeah. Well, that's the first step to be like, I've got something to say and I want to share it. I think getting there is a good place to be. Yes, I'm sure I know. I like we all have that person in our life, whether it's a friend or family member, that's like the most brilliant off the cuff storyteller. And they can it's like they're performing a one person show. Yes. It's like I have I have a handful of friends like that because they're also professional storytellers. But then I just <laughs> have other people in my life that are just like I love being around them because of how they share stories. And but for the majority of everyone else, including myself, it takes a lot of work to get there. And I think it's it's this combination of practicing in those like low stake social settings. Maybe don't invite those particular two people to the next dinner party, but try <laughs> try it out at, at a time when like you can take center stage and just see what happens. And then, yeah, it's like preparation, knowing like that, making sure what you want to say has a beginning, middle and end, which is really important. And that's where a lot of stories can fall flat. Um, and then, yeah, putting yourself in a low stake situation to put it out there and then repetition, like just keep telling the stories to different people and trying it and then seeing how and as you go along, like, OK, how much preparation did I really need to do for that story? And how much can I just let it go in the moment? I have a math equation to help people figure this out. And I always land in like, uh, right now I land mostly in like 40% preparation, 60% improvisation in my storytelling. Yeah. But there was a time when I was like 92% preparation oh, <laughs> and 8% okay. improvisation. Like it's really finding that balance and it will, it will shift depending on what you're talking about, depending on who you're talking to and like your comfort level of that. But yeah, I, I had a client that Google that, apparently their wife told them that they were an awful storyteller and they got really upset 
and Googled and found me. And so <laughs> know that if you believe in yourself and you know that that's not true and that you do want to work on it, that it's possible and that there just are those magic gem people and they're, yeah. that are few and far between that are just really good. And that most for most everyone else, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. I remember every time I would go to parts and I love telling stories, but at the beginning, it, it would be like, Sandy, is there a point to this story? <laughs> Where are you going with this? And I would say, I don't know. I just like talking. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I had to work on it. You know? So there was like, because like, I did, I love talking. I love telling stories. But there was, like you said, there wasn't like a beginning, middle, and end. And you need a beginning, middle, and end. You yeah. Know? And there's always going to be times where it still falls flat. Like even when you put work into it. And I would love to believe that even those brilliant off the cuff storytellers fall flat every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but I, I'm also <laughs> laughing because I'm relating to, I've been at uh, gatherings where if so-and-so shows up, the people are like, Oh crap, we're not going to get a word in edgewise. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they like that person, you know, there's always that person like, man, we're not going to be able to get our stories in. So it was pretty funny. All right. Beyond the blazer. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you mean by that. This is tip three, by the way, for Hillary's five key elements. We did origin ownership and beyond the blazer. Yeah. So this is this is this stemmed from this whole idea of who I am as personally and who I am professionally and an initial feeling that I think a lot of people feel of that has to be separate. My personal is my personal, my professional is my professional. This is who I am here and this is who I am there. And for me, I never really was that way and I never worked in a corporate environment ever in my entire life, but I think when I first started to teach storytelling. my The first year that I was full-time in my business, I was going into companies and doing like big group trainings on storytelling and a lot of big corporations. And I was like, well, I must wear a blazer. Like in my head, that was just what I had to do for people to take me seriously. I think for me to take, for myself to take myself seriously and just to kind of blend in with this culture that I was supposed to, you know, show up and and understand how I needed to teach them what I need to teach them. And so that's sort of where it came from in that I don't think I was fully showing up as myself. I don't think I was actually even sharing storytelling in like a full and truthful way. And 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 because of a presentation gone wrong, where I just so happened to be wearing a blazer, it kind of like broke oh, okay. me out of that kind of, oh, wait, what happened here? Like, what is the reason this happened? And it wasn't just because I was wearing a blazer, but it really allowed me to evaluate, like, I wasn't actually, like, giving enough of myself in any of this. And I'm showing up to teach people to be more themselves. And there's some sort of disconnect here. And so I coined this term beyond the blazer for storytelling in that even if we're telling a story professionally, it is best served if we are bringing our full self into it and that we're all human, even at work. And if we can talk about something in our life that maybe isn't a direct link to our professional world, that's actually going to be more memorable. It's going to stick with people better and it's going to make mm-hmm. people feel more comfortable and more open to do the same in return. So it's this idea of blending personal and professional. And so I think of it as like going beyond the blazer. Like if you were to throw the blazer off, I mean, I don't know how many people are really wearing blazers while working from home, but you know, (laughs) um, yeah. And I also still wear blazers. Like I have blazers that I like, but just knowing that who I am underneath that is actually what's more important. You know, I was wondering if you were going to say it had anything to do with a real blazer and you got there. I was like so excited. (laughs) I was thinking about a time I did this big speaking engagement and, you know, I prepared for six months and something happened, I don't know, with the audio and it ended up telling a story about where I got these shoes. Well, you want to know something? 500 people there, all this great information, you know, about neuroscience and how the brain and body works. And you know what they remembered afterwards? The story about the freaking shoes. Yeah, but that makes you so memorable. And then they'll actually also look up all of the research you did and all that stuff. But you'll be that that person with those that told the story about the shoes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And and I I didn't even think, like, because I didn't do it on purpose, but... 
even I can just think of other times where I'm having a conversation, I'm being interviewed, and all of a sudden I look at someone's nails, I'm like, ooh, I like your art of your nails. And what is everybody talking about? The little story about the nails. But I was, I used to get upset, Hillary. I used to think, wow, you know, they're not remembering all my information. But what you just said is that doesn't mean they're not getting the other stuff in there too. Right, exactly. And I think the more... Yeah, I just think it's finding those stories that like maybe relate to the research we've done or the data we need to present, but they don't have to be like the story of you at your desk figuring that out. <laughs> like <laughs> what is what is the thing that happened to you and it, it's it's connecting the dots and sometimes there isn't like a clear linear way. like it's not easy always to see how it's connected, but once you land on that moment mm-hmm. that you're like, "Oh, that but it is connected because of this this and this." Then it makes all of that research and all of that data more memorable, more compelling and then everyone links it back to you and who you are. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to this next question. Sure. Her name is, oh, we'll make up Beth. (laughs) Beth wants to know the most difficult moment you have ever had on stage and how did you handle it? Ooh, well, the most difficult moment I had on stage giving like a presentation about storytelling was the one I just alluded to that gave me that aha moment with the Beyond the Blazer. But yeah, I showed up. It was funny. This this friend of mine that we we shared the same birthday. I've known her since I was two years old, but and we were very close friends. But we took completely different life paths. Like she, after college, went and worked at the same company, and and I believe still works there, and and moved up that way. And I was a freelance uh, performer and artist, and always had like this handful of odd jobs to kind of make my way and and cobble together this life that I wanted to live. And it was what I wanted and my choice. And but I don't know. And I'm sure other people have felt this way of like, when those life path decisions start to diverge. And even if as you're planning families or choosing not to have families or getting married or not getting married, things like that. um, The way we understand our friends can kind of diverge. And so I think there was a point in our friendship where we just didn't understand each other. But at the same time, at one point, she's like, I think my company needs storytelling. And I was like, oh, we finally understand each other. (laughs) And so she hired me to come in. And I think there was the pressure of feeling like I needed to prove myself to my very close friend. And this is me looking back on it with reflection and perspective, (laughs) proving myself to my friend. And then also still being in that like blazer mode of like, I have to like put on this professional mask and teach this like very kind of I mean it was I'm still proud of what I was teaching as far as storytelling in that regard but these elements didn't exist. I was teaching a very like by the book method of yeah. storytelling and I it just I showed up the they didn't give me the mic I requested. There was all this like screeching feedback from the speakers. I couldn't hear my own voice. The slide like clicker wasn't working and then all the people Mm. that showed up it wasn't the audience like the type of industry people I was expecting to be there that I had tailored my talk to and then this other woman came in and did my intro all wrong she had just googled me and like talked about me being in a play when I was 22 like it just everything fell apart like I wasn't brought up the right way I was trying to prove (laughs) myself to my friend the tech didn't work and I'm in the middle of the talk and I and I the one thing I actually was talking about was this ownership, this idea of like being the main character of your story and, and going through that part. And the the big boss in the room, not my friend, but this other person interrupted me and said, well, actually, that's not our job. We're not here to tell our stories. We're here to tell insert company names story. And now if someone did that to me, I'd be like, oh no, actually, this is why you're wrong about that. And here are here's the data, the science, my methodology, proof that it works, my own stories to to prove you wrong. But in that moment I I crumbled inside and was like, uh yes, you're right. And I started like saying yes and agreeing, which went against everything that I had just taught to these people. (laughs) And like not only was I getting like weird yeah. puzzled looks and like a disconnected energy from the audience, but when I received the survey feedback back feedback back from that event, I had gotten like awful, awful feedback. And yes, it's one presentation and like I haven't gotten that bad feedback since, but I almost needed that to then mm. build up to where I am now, both internally and also like how I 
teach storytelling and what I actually believe in. So that to me, it was more horrifying than like getting up at a comedy show and telling a story yeah. that like didn't get that many laughs. Yeah, no, no. I agree. <laughs> but you know, it is the old story of when you've gone through it yourself, you can relate more to what others are feeling. Like if you always had great performances, it's hard to relate to other people. Yeah. And you know? I, yeah, I think it's that, that it's like a combination of like, taking the risk and putting yourself out there, but then also like standing up for who you are and standing up for what you believe in. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. So we got to jump right into the next one. Okay. I want to ask, what was your best one? The highlight? This was the most fun Sandy I ever had doing a presentation and it could be virtual or in person. Yeah. Oh, this is so tricky, but I would say, so very early on in my career of telling stories on stage, I was going back and forth to New York a lot because there weren't that many storytelling shows in Philadelphia. I had just started my own storytelling show in Philadelphia, but really like multiple times a week in New York, there were storytelling shows. And so I would get on the mega bus. I would go up. I would work on my story. I'd get ready. Sometimes I knew I'd be telling it because I was booked on somebody's show. But most of the time I was showing up to story slams. So shows where you would put your name in a bag, you knew what the theme was and you I had always prepared my story, but I would never know if I was getting picked out of the bag to tell my story. And mm. the the big organization still to this day that that hosts these story slams is called The Moth. It's like a national storytelling organization. They have a podcast, it's huge. A lot of people that are familiar with storytelling if you say, oh, do you know the moth? Like, if I explain what I do, I'm like, it's like the moth, but this, dot, dot, dot. So anyway, I had been going up to New York. I had gone to the moth. And at the time, you couldn't even buy a ticket to be in the audience in advance. You had to stand in line for hours, even to, with the chance of getting in. And the venues only ever held a h- couple hundred people. They did it at a bookstore, um, a poetry cafe, a dive bar in the West Village. Like, it just... It was all over, but in these very small spaces. And so I would stand in line for hours just to even get in. I would put my name in the bag. I say I did that eight or nine times and never once had my name picked out of the bag. So I'm taking the bus to New York. I'm standing in line all day and I'm going to the show, getting ready to tell my story. And I don't know because they don't pull your name out until like the moment before. So I'm sitting there the whole time uncertain of if I'll get to tell my story but at the same time, experiencing like really fantastic stories as an audience member. But anyway, it was April 1st. I don't know what year it was, but it was April Fool's Day. I, I go to the Moth Story Slam. It's in Brooklyn. Uh, I stand in the long line. I have friends that come meet me there. And uh, my name gets picked out of the hat. So I like, finally get to go. And actually, there was a bigger venue, too. So there were maybe like five or 600 people there. And then I won the, the whole slam. <laughs> but it wasn't the winning that makes it the best experience for me. I still remember feeling how, like, the feeling I felt in sharing my story. And it felt like I have this, like, out-of-body way of looking at it. But it felt, again, like, totally grounded. And, like, I could play within the story because I knew the beginning, middle, and end. But this audience was so alive and energetic and invested in what I had to say and like laughed Mm. at parts that no one had ever laughed before. And at one point, I remember I like added a detail that had just come to my mind in that moment that I had never shared in that story before and hearing this like shock and awe like noise from this large audience. Like it just Mm. was this like electric exchange between me and that audience and so it like obviously I was thrilled to win and I got to go on to the Moth Grand Slam and and you know it's like a nice thing to put in my bio um but it wasn't that it was actually just that like in the moment telling Mm. that like I will remember that feeling forever oh I feel like I'm there with you Hillary (laughs) (laughs) April 1st well how like about how many years ago do you think Uh, it was maybe like 2013 I would say so a while, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> and you still are telling it like it happened yesterday. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What's number four? Because if I say it, I always mispronounce it. So you're saying it. Point sure. So the fourth key element of personal narrative is reciprocity. Reciprocity. And this is actually speaks to exactly what I just, and this was not set up. <laughs> this was speaking exactly. Well, sort of the universe did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly to what I just talked about is that 
electric feeling between the storyteller and the audience. And that really what storytelling is, is story sharing and that you are giving your, it's a gift. You are giving your story to whoever's there with listening ears on the other end. And you're bringing them into your world. You're initiating this connection, but then it's, it's, it's like going into them and coming back to you. And sometimes that can be like at a very subconscious level, but other times it's like, okay, well, I'm offering myself to you and I'm inviting you to offer yourself to me, whether that's Mm. like right now in this moment or just showing someone that it is totally acceptable to share a piece of who you are. And they'll understand that because of that electric energy that is felt when you're really engaged in listening to a story. And I think this also goes back to, to the question of, oh, I have those friends that like, I can never get a word in edgewise mm-hmm. because they're just talking 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 well they're actually missing the the reciprocity in the storytelling like they should be it should be a conversation even if nobody's interrupting like it should be an inclusive experience yeah. and then it wouldn't feel like you can't get a word in edgewise <laughs> so we're going to send this podcast to all those people yeah all those people because you know what it just means they're not listening and they're not clued in to their audience because if they were they would allow other people to share stories in return or give space at least yeah i like that hillary this has been so much fun and i know people got so much great information and tips and tricks of storytelling and i i find it refreshing to sit here and go Hey, there's somebody out like I know you said like there are all these organizations about storytelling, but yours is actually the first company that I saw doing this. Yeah, and I finally finally, I would say like in the last like just in 2020 in this year where where circumstantially everything was flipped upside down, part of and what I'm grateful for in in a way something that it's done for me and my business is I finally can see what makes me stand apart from other people that that offer storytelling trainings, mm-hmm. whether it's for like people to use it professionally or personally, and that I really believe that my approach and these five key elements can expand that idea of what storytelling is and what it can do for somebody. Mm. I love that. You finally can see. Isn't that true? A lot of us go, I don't really know what makes me different. That's mm-hmm. huge. That's huge. And I, I agree. I do think you stand out because it stand out. It, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, I don't see anybody else doing this. So I was loving what you were putting out in the world for sure. Thank you. And I'm having one quick aha moment that it goes back to that. It's the doing the like Millicent Wimbleberry version of your story and not the my book about me version of your story. I would say my me and my company tell me a story. We help you get to that. Millicent Wimbleberry story. Yeah, yeah. And we're not yeah. pigeonholing you into this template of like fill in the blanks. You have to do it this way. And I think to me that feels so exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. All right, before we go, just a few rapid fire questions. Sure. Ready? Yeah. Okay. What is one thing you could tell us about you that nobody might know? Oh, I have, I mean, some people in my personal life know, but I have a cat and my cat is actually Japanese. So I lived in Japan for a year, about 12 years ago. And while I was there, I got Ooh. a cat and I could not leave her behind. And so I flew her on a special pet plane uh, back to America and she still is in America to this day. <laughs> okay. So now we have so many questions and that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> because my son and I, we just love love anything to deal with japan and he actually is very much into anime and i love some of the shows and anytime there is even a youtuber on and he's in japan somewhere telling like we just watched a show last night about all the sushi there oh i don't we it's somewhere we want to go but yeah why did you go to japan and where did you stay in japan (laughs) i need i have so many questions yeah so i always was fascinated by the culture and also studied the language in college and a little bit out of college and i ended up going there to teach english and that was i didn't want to teach english i was like oh that's how i get to japan and live in japan ultimately i'm really glad that i did it was a great job and a really cool experience but i actually didn't have a choice where i was placed and so in my head 
I knew I wouldn't be in Tokyo, but I thought I'd at least be on the main island and it would be warm most of the year. But I got placed in Hokkaido, which is the northernmost island in Japan, where mm. and the town I lived in, it snowed from October to April. And I taught at 25 schools instead of one school. Mm. Um, but so there were all of these like setbacks, I would say, or things I didn't expect. But I'm still so grateful for the experience. And I have so many stories that I've told on stage and off about my time there. Um, so, yeah, I was in the Northern Island for a year. I lived there, but I traveled the whole country. Did you did you make it to Tokyo? I did. I went many, many times to Tokyo. And I'm actually I just started relearning the language uh, back in May, and my next class starts next week. Ooh. Do you like sushi? I do. <laughs> I made vegetable sushi last night for dinner. I never make the raw fish sushi at home, but I do like eating that from a restaurant. Mm. All right. Well, we'll go there someday. <laughs> All right. What? Totally simple. What's your favorite color? Ooh. My favorite color is hot pink. Okay. Favorite food? Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, Michael? yes. Um, well, speaking of YouTube, guilty pleasure is like watching beauty vloggers like unbox makeup and skincare, but then also watching like vlogs. So people just like, here's a day in my life and nothing ever exciting. Nothing exciting ever <laughs> happens. And they're not actually even using the medium to tell compelling stories about these mundane things. They're just totally boring and mundane, but it's a way for me to turn my brain off. And I'm like, I'm just going to yeah. watch this person do nothing. <laughs> I, I totally understand that. Yeah. So wait, beauty, <laughs> I never heard of this beauty bloggers. You watch people open up beauty boxes. Oh yeah. And like talk about new makeup and new skincare. It's so ridiculous and and uh, like when you when it all rolls down to it they're just trying to sell you things um but yeah. sometimes again it's like zen for me yeah you know just relax you might yeah. get an idea of an eyeshadow or how to put the liner on yeah I get it. oh my god that's crazy <laughs> all right so perfect day if you were going to wake up ooh, this would be so heaven what would your day look like huh <sighs> I Well, I always like to wake up two hours before I have to do anything. So it would involve that and okay. me sort of having that alone time. Um, I would definitely be by the beach in my perfect day and, and being able to, from wherever I woke up, to see the beach, but then either get on a bicycle or walk to the water. Um, it would probably involve ice cream at some point and just being around people that I really care about and love and, and want to be around. You know, it actually leads me to my final question, which is what's your morning routine? So you say <laughs> it's two hours alone. Can I you try share a little bit about what you do in those two hours. Yeah. So I don't, I actually took email, the email app off of my phone a handful of months ago. And that's been great because I, I try not to go straight to email so I'll wake up, but I will put on a podcast. So I I like to start with The Daily, which is the New York Times, but yep. sometimes I have to be like, okay, this is going to be really upsetting. Is there anything I can listen to first <laughs> yes. before I listen to this, even though I know I need to and, and want to listen to that? So it involves listening to a podcast, making coffee in a French press. Um, mm. I, I have to have a, like two cups of coffee um, and, and sit listening to a podcast. My cat will usually be up. Um, my boyfriend is usually still sleeping and yeah, just like not really doing much of anything. And then when I'm feeling myself like, okay, I'm done with podcasts. I've had coffee. Maybe I've had some toast. I always meditate before I start whatever the big thing is of the day, whether it's work or like a house task or something like that. I make sure to do, I try to do like 15 minutes of, of meditation. Well, you just answered my last question. How long do you meditate? <laughs> yeah, usually 15. I yeah. I subscribe to a streaming service by this woman named Jessica Snow. And she has some that are a little bit shorter, like six to 10 minutes. And if I feel like I'm crunched for time after my leisurely two-hour morning, I'll do yeah. a shorter one. But I think my sweet spot is 15. Gotcha. Well, Hillary Ray, this has been so much fun. We yeah, gotta go, this is though. great. It, is there anything that we didn't get in that you want to send out to the world? 
No, I feel like we talked about so much in such a short period of time. I think we did. I think we got it all in there because you're a great storyteller. So how can they reach you? The best place to go is uh, my company's website. So that's tellmeastory.info, I-N-F-O. And the other place where I am, I'm, I'm not really active on social media at the moment, but I've put all of that energy and focus into my newsletter, which is called The Speak Up. And okay. so I'll make sure to, to have the link t- where okay, people cool. could sign up directly to that as well. Cool. All right, my peeps. Lots of fun. Lots of good stuff. I can't wait to hear your story. And until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.